Morning Valley Point. Welcome to the first Sunday of the summer. I love the summer. I hate the winter. Oh yeah, some of you agree with me, right? All right, all right, that's cool. This is wonderful. The weather is really good. Hey, while you're thinking about that, get out your connection card. I'd love for you all to fill out your connection card. Don't be looking at me. Pick up the connection card in front of you. If you're watching online, welcome to Valley Point Church. You can fill out a digital connection card. That'd be fine. And as you fill out the card, put on there as much information as you're comfortable with. It's a great way for us to stay connected. On the back of the card, there's some events coming up. One is meet the pastor and one is meet the church. Great way for you to get to know our pastor, Eric, and some of the core values of Valley Point Church. And if you're interested in those, just check them off. Any prayer request you may have, fill that out as well. You can drop off the card on your way out the door with any offering that you may have. All right. So we're going to look at some core practices. We've been in a series called Rooted in Christ. And we started this series 18 weeks ago. And the first 10 weeks, we talked about how our, what our core beliefs were, our core beliefs in Christianity. And now we're gonna, we've been talking for the past eight weeks, our core practices, our core practices. Now today, I'm going to talk about another practice and it's actually a very, very difficult practice. I believe it's the hardest practice for us as Christians, um, which just goes to figure that they asked me to do this practice. I, I just can, can imagine Eric and Bob talking, you know, a few weeks ago and say, hey, this is a tough one. Let's have Gus do it. And so here I am. But we're going to talk about that. When I think of the word practice, I think of one thing. One thing comes to mind when I hear that word practice. This is it. Watch. I mean, how silly is that? I mean, we're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not, I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. We're, talk We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. That's a classic, right? That's awesome. Listen, there's a great story behind that. And, and, and the Sixers just lost in the playoffs. And he goes into the interview, and the writers are asking him about practice. Not the game, practice. And we're going to be talking about today, practice. But it does have a lot to do with the game of life. Now, just so we're on the same page, let's look at the definition of practice. This is very important. Here's the definition. Perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency. Practice. Practice. So we're in, the, this is the ninth week of core practices. And we've talked about a lot of different practices. And here's, here's how this principle works, okay? This is the principle. 
we have a belief, which we talked about for 10 weeks. But we have a belief. And even if it's not a spiritual belief, and hopefully you can see that, belief, that's belief, and it's spelled correctly. So we have a belief. And if you have a belief, regardless of what it is, maybe you believe you could run a marathon or a half marathon. What happens is it changes your behavior. It changes your behavior. Any belief you have changes your behavior. Okay, can you see that? They gave me a real fine point black pen. They would never do that for Eric, just so you know. <laughs> so, so if you have a belief, regardless of what your belief is, it changes your behavior. And your behavior then, if you add to your behavior, what? If you add to your behavior, practice, something happens. So let's, let's look at a runner. You know, I believe I can run a marathon, so it changes my behavior. I, I, I begin to run. I eat healthy. It changes my behavior. Now, if I add to that some specific practices, which means, okay, I'm going to run 10 miles a day for maybe five days a week or six days a week. Maybe I'll run eight miles a day. So you got to ask yourself, well, how much and how often? There are the two things that go into determining what the practice is. Once you start that practice, what happens? Your confidence, your belief, your faith increases. It grows. That's why core practices are so important. So important in life and in the spiritual world, too. So we're talking about core practices. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a, a job. Maybe it's playing the piano. It doesn't matter. If you believe something, it changes your behavior, you add practice to it, it increases your confidence. Increases your confidence. Now my pages are all messed up here. So this is a principle that is very important. This principle not only applies to physical things, it applies to spiritual things as well. I want us to look at a verse in 1 Timothy 4.8. 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, having promised for both the present life and the life that is to come. Wow, that's a great verse. That's a great verse. See, physical training is beneficial for us on this earth. But godly training is beneficial not only for us here on this earth, but it's beneficial for us in that eternity that we're going to spend with Christ. So this principle applies if I believe that God exists, and I have a situation in my life that comes up, and I say to God something like this. Um, God, I don't ask for much, but this is happening in my life, and I'm asking for this for you, from you now. So we, it changes our behavior. Now, if we add to that prayer some practice, 
of prayer. And what do we mean by that? Add to that the practice of worshiping him in our prayer, of confessing to him in our prayer, praying for others, practicing our prayer in different ways. How much, how often, what happens? Our belief in God, our faith in God, to be able to answer those prayers increases. That's how it works. That's how it works. Now, over the past eight weeks, we've been looking at different practices, worship, prayer, Bible study, surrender, community, generosity. We've looked at all those things. Today, uh, I'm going to share a very difficult one with you. It's a tough one. And it's one of those things that... um, I believe it's probably the last thing we want to do. And it's the last thing that happens in our spiritual walk with God. It was for me anyway. So today I want to talk to you about the different practice, the discipline, the exercise of giving. Of giving. Giving my resources for the Lord. Now you were really excited. That's what you wanted to hear when you came in this morning. I know how that is. You don't typically think of giving as something you need to exercise, but the Bible actually talks about this a lot. And we're going to look at a lot of of different passages in Scripture. Um, But here's our big idea for today. Practice the exercise of giving to the church. Giving to the church. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 says this, But since you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's almost like he's saying it's the last thing you can excel in. It's always the last thing to excel in when it comes to giving for us as humans. It's human nature. But this is what the Bible says. And if we're going to excel, how do you excel in anything? Practice. Practice. Often this grace of giving is the last thing that we commit to the Lord. We commit a lot of things to the Lord, but often this is the last thing we commit. Now, exercise boils down to two things, which I said. When you're going to, when you're going to exercise anything... In life, you ask yourself these two questions. How much do I exercise? How much do I run? How much do I practice the piano? Or or how often do I do that? And that will determine how good you are in whatever skill you're practicing. So how much? If we're going to practice the exercise, this grace of giving back to the church, how much? How much is an important question. And we may from time to time, be thinking to ourselves as we're driving to church, uh, what am I going to do today? I think today, after church, we'll go to lunch. It's a beautiful day. Maybe we'll go to a restaurant. We can sit outside. That'd be great. You probably thought that to yourself many times. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, let me think now. I got, if we go there, that's going to cost me so much. So I I do want to give something today. I should be able to put 20 in the plate today. You know, that's kind of how we calculate how much. A lot of times we calculate how much that way. It's just normal. It's normal that we calculate that way. 
Uh, and we all have different ways we calculate how much. What I want to do is I want to walk through the entire Bible. <laughs> We're going to be here a while. We're going to walk through the entire Bible. I, I promise I'm only going to speak for 30 total minutes because they told me at the end of 30 minutes, the Holy Spirit stops working, so we just kind of keep moving on. But anyway, so we're not going to be there that long. But I want to talk, I want to walk through the Old Testament, and I want to look at different passages, and hopefully we'll see some principles out of this. We're going to start in Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 14, and this is Abram. Abram later changes his name to Abraham, but this is Abram. And this is around 2000 B.C., 2000 B.C. is like 2,000 years before Christ, all right? So 2000 B.C., this is taking place. In verse 18, it says this, And Mechilzedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. He just defeated his enemies. And Mechilzedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. And then he goes on to say, I, Abram, will give God a tenth of all the goods that he recovered. So right in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, in chapter 14, before the law was ever given, Abram determines that a tenth is how much? Let's look at a couple of generations later, Genesis 28. This is Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. In, in Genesis 28, and verse 16, Jacob then awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Did you ever say that before? After you came to a church service? Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place that this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway of heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, sound familiar, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. So now when you drive by Bethel Firehouse, you can be thinking, okay, this is the house of God. Then Jacob, in verse 20, made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Two generations after Abraham. Now let's jump ahead a little more. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. One of the sons is Joseph. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He goes into Egypt. And, and he then, there's a famine. He brings his family and the whole, all the Israelites end up in Egypt. And they're there for 400 years. So this is like 500 years after Abraham and Jacob. And now Moses, God raises up Moses. You remember the story? God rescues the Israelites out of captivity. They wander out into the wilderness, and out in the wilderness, what does God do? He meets with Moses, and he gives them 
the Ten Commandments. And he gives them him the law. And this is the law. Leviticus 27, verse 30 says this, A tithe of everything from the land, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And that was the law that God gave to the Israelites. Now, a thousand years later after this, about 445 B.C., we have the Israelites in captivity in Babylon. The king allows them to go and rebuild the temple. He allows them to go and rebuild the wall. So we find in Nehemiah, after the wall is completed, in Nehemiah in verse 10, we see this in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 35, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple. Year after year, whether it be crop from the soil, from the fruit trees, we agree to give God the oldest sons and the firstborn of all of our herds and flocks as prescribed by the law. We will present them to the priest who minister in the temple of God. They were given their oldest sons to serve as priests, not, not to be sacrificed, okay? Uh, jump down to verse 38. A priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes, as they receive these tithes. And a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites who were the priests to the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. The people and the Levites must bring these offerings, grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priest, the gatekeepers, and the singers. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. Let's jump ahead. Uh, it's actually only about 30 years later. 30 years later, we're in Malachi. We're in the last book of the Old Testament. You can... Malachi, verse 3. And we'll start with verse 8. And this is God speaking. He says this, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He says. And, 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 and he says, You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the God, the Lord of heaven's armies. Listen, all throughout the Old Testament, over 2,000 years, God considered the tenth his. God considered the tenth. It was an opportunity for the Israelites to show that they believed that God created everything, God owned everything, and God has given us everything. And giving back a tenth to the Lord was an obligation for the Israelites, but it was their way to willingly show 
that they believed God gave them everything. And, they, and, and it was God's, and it was honoring to God to give that back to them. Now, I know we are in the age of grace. We're in the church age. We are not obligated to give a tenth. But for thousands of years, God considered the tenth his. In the, in the New Testament, we are not obligated to give a tenth. And, and just so you know, Valley Point Church, when you give anything to Valley Point Church, we don't track how much you give. We don't know how much you give. Uh, no one does that except for the accountant. And, and so they're able to give you a receipt for, for what you've given to the church. We don't know how much you make. We can't calculate what that tenth would even be. It's very, it's very private between you and the Lord. But the tenth, for us, I believe it's voluntary. And if you always wrestle in your mind, well, how much should I give? This is what you should give, a tenth. You should be giving a tenth to the Lord. It's a challenge. And not only is a tenth to go to the Lord, but I believe with all my heart, the tenth should go to the church, to the church. God didn't choose different organizations to rescue the world. He chose the church, of which Christ is the head and we are the body. We are the body. And, 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 and in the Old Testament, it went to the temple, to the house of God. And I believe in the New Testament, it should go to the house of God as well. Can you just imagine? Can you just imagine if the church was the one that fed the hungry all around the world? Can you imagine if it was the church who helped those who were less fortunate all around the world? Can you imagine if it, if it was us the church, who were supporting the orphans and the widows all around the world. What, what, how, would the, how would that look in the eyes of the world to us as the church? They would see us in a whole different lens. It would be wonderful. In Malachi 3, verse 12, this is what it means when God says, then all the nations will call you blessed. We have enough trouble with the church's reputation around the world and to in the eyes of the unbeliever. If you're sitting here in this ministry, if, if you're sitting here and you're listening to God's word week in and week out, if God is ministering to you as a family, your children, your, your students, your, your, your teenagers, if you're, if you're, sitting here and worshiping and listening to the privilege of, of being led in worship the way that this morning was, you should be giving back to the church a portion of everything that God has given to you. You should be. You should be giving back that portion. When I was first saved, I was saved when I was 21 years old. I gave my life to the Lord, made a decision. And... Um, I struggled with the 10%. When I first heard this, I'm like, no way. <laughs> so if you're sitting here today and, and you're, you've kind of listening to this for the first time, I get it. I understand. This is a challenge. This is, this is not easy to take in. This is not easy to take in. And so in my life, I began to just continue to study and listen to God. And I wanted to know, you know, what, what is the right thing to give? What is the right amount? 
And I did come to the conclusion, Laurie and I, we, we were together on this, and we did determine that we wanted to give a portion of what God gave us. So we began to give a percentage. We began to give a percentage, and it was just a low percentage. We might have started with 1% or 3% and worked our way up to 5%, and that took a while. You know, we were trying to, we were trying to get to that goal of 10%, but after a while, we realized we weren't going to get to that goal of 10% because it was going to be what was left over and not the first fruit. We realized that living on 90% blessed was going to be easier than living on 100% unblessed. That's what that's talking about in Malachi when he says he will protect the flocks. He will let your, your, your ripes grow, the grapes grow and your crops grow. God's in control of all that. And when you give back a portion, 10% to God, God takes care of a lot of things. That's what he means in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And so we began to give 10%. And it was a challenge. There was times we weren't making a lot of money, but we gave that 10%. That 10%. The second question, when it comes to practice, is not just how much, but how often. How often? So we look at a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, in verse 1, and it says this. Now, regarding your question about money, I'm sure you had that question when you walked in today, right? Uh, Regarding that question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. So think about this. A portion of the money you have earned put aside on the first day of the week at Sunday. Now, in order for me to determine what a portion is, uh, you have to know some things. You have to understand some things about how much money you make. You have to, you have to figure that out. And that's what a portion is. A portion here is, is a, a divided amount. It's actually a percentage is what it's talking about. And so you're determining that this, this percentage I'm going to set aside each week. And if you're calculating that as you're sitting here in church, you're way, you're way too late. The bus is left. Considering... You're offering to God how much and how often is a daily practice. Is a daily practice. It's a way of life. It's an attitude. And so I'm going to give you three exercises. Three exercises that if you practice daily, it'll change the way you think about giving to the church. All right? Here's the first exercise. And these exercises, listen, when it it comes to giving to the church, it doesn't matter really if you give once a week to the church or once a month or once a year. That's not what matters. What matters is what you're thinking about every day in your life. That's what matters. Me personally, Laurie and I, we give once a month. We calculate how much we bring in that month, and then we give a portion of that uh, to the Lord. So it doesn't matter. But here's the first exercise. Ready? Practice thankfulness. Practice thankfulness. Our 
year life verse, Colossians 2.7. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. When you practice thankfulness, when you practice thankfulness, your faith in God grows. Your heart changes. Your heart changes when you practice thankfulness. You may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, I really don't feel very thankful. Practice thankfulness. As you're driving to work, Thank God for your job that he gave you. As you're driving your kids to school, thank God for your kids. As you're driving home, thank God for your home. Thank God for your car. Thank God for everything you have. Practice thankfulness daily. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Practice thankfulness. The second exercise we're going to look at is practice Good stewardship. Practice good stewardship. Now, stewardship is something that you need to come to grips with, that you are a steward of everything that God has given to you. A steward basically is a manager. So if you're going to practice good stewardship, you have to have the mindset and the attitude that God has given me everything, and so I'm going to take care of it. A manager is, is, you could be a manager of a lot of different things. You could be a manager of money. You could be a manager of someone's company. You could be a manager of their property. We are managing as stewards what God has given to us. 1 Peter 4.10, it says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We are only managers of what God has given to us. To be a good, good manager, do these three things. You ready? Number one, budget. You need to be on a budget to be a good manager. If you want to manage someone else's money, you've got to budget their money. And that's what you're doing as a good manager. As a good steward of God's money, you need to budget. Know how much you make. So if I'm going to set aside a portion, I have to know what I'm bringing in. So a good number to look at is the 10, 10, 50, 30, all right? 10% goes to the Lord right off the top before everything else, before taxes, before everything. Everything I bring in, it's not mine, it's God's. I'm going to honor him with that 10%. So 10% goes to your savings, 50% to your needs, 30% to your wants, to your wants. Now this changes. This changes all the time. I mean, just the fact that gas is crazy right now. <laughs> your needs are changing, and your wants are going down, right? It could be that your, your needs are at 80, and your wants are at zero. And the other thing about this, you know, if you're married today, this, there's different opinions about this. You know, could be I go to Laurie and I say, you know, Laurie, I need new golf clubs. Yeah, that's that. She would laugh. And she'd say, need? Need? You know, you, you need to, as a husband and wife, you need to get on the same page when it comes to needs and wants. And you can't do that 
unless you're budgeting and figuring it out and figuring out how much you're bringing in and where the money is going. Where is it going? If you haven't figured out where your money's going, that's not being a good manager of what God has given to you. You got to figure that out. Second thing, spend less than you make. It sounds simple, right? Spend less than you make. If God has given you X amount and you're spending more than that, you are cheating God. You're not being a very good steward of God's money, of what he's given to you. If you're spending more than you're making, take every credit card in your wallet and cut it up and throw it away. Credit card is the simplest way to spend more than you're making. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Spend less than you make. The third one, pay debts. Pay debts, including taxes. A lot of times we think in our lives, well, I think I can cut corners and I can save money here and save money there. And a lot of times we're cutting corners illegally. And we say, well, government will never know. That person I owe money to, they'll never, they'll never know, but God will know. And this is what the Bible says in Romans 13, verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full-time governing. Whether you like who's governing or not, it doesn't matter. They're God's servants. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You can't honor God by cutting corners illegally. If you want to manage God's money correctly, if you want to be a good steward of God's money, do it legally, do it wisely, and don't cut corners. Pay down your debts. Now, these two first practices were easy, right? The next one's the hard one. The next one's the hard one. It is practice the principle of first fruits. First fruits. You know, you could, you could look at those first two principles and you can say, I, I do that all the time. I, I, I'm a good money manager. Those are good money managing principles, right? Budget, spend less than you make. It's kind of common sense. They're, they're actually, when you think of it in terms of you being a steward of God's money, they are actually spiritual practices. And that's how... That's how we need to think of them, as spiritual practices. So this is what it says in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Back in the day, they were farmers. They were shepherds. And they gave a tenth of everything God gave to them. It's not necessarily the way today, but the principle applies. Everything we get is from God. And God wants us to give the first fruits, not the leftovers. And that happens a lot of times in our lives. Think of it as the first fruits of everything that God has given to us. Give God the first of everything you have. It's an attitude. Practice the exercise of first fruits. 
These daily practices will determine a lot of times how strong your walk is with God. Many times we will commit our lives to the Lord. We will trust in him as our savior, but we're not going to trust him with our money. So often our money and our resources are the last thing that's saved. It happens a lot of times. It happened in my life. It happened in our life. It was a challenge. But I could tell you this. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the Lord of my life. I shall not want. And all the years that I've been given 10% back to the church, I haven't wanted for anything. God is taking care of me through good times and tough times. And there were some really, really tough times. But God honors the fact that you practice the principle of first fruits. I've lived it, I've experienced it, and I can promise you. And just like God says in Malachi chapter 3, try me and test me and see that I don't bless you if you practice the principle of first fruits back to God. I hope God has been speaking to your heart. And I know this is not something that you expected as you walked in today. This is a little more practical, and and I'm being honest and open to you, but I think it's what God wants from us. He's been asking for 10% for thousands of years. In this age of grace, it doesn't change. Now it's just not an obligation. It's voluntary, willingly, out of our heart, to prove to God that we believe that he has created everything, he owns everything, and he's given me everything. It's the least I can give back to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to you. We thank you for your word that has spoken to our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that We would open our eyes. You would open our hearts. Help us to realize and give us the courage. Give us not only the wisdom and the boldness, but give us the courage, Lord, to step out in faith. Believe that you've given us everything. And Lord, as it changes our behavior, I pray that we would practice the principle of first fruits back to you. Father, thank you for everything you've given to us. I pray, Lord, as we go today that you would bless us, that there would be opportunity this week that you would allow certain circumstances to happen, that you would help us to remember these principles and that we would apply them to our lives. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.